Espérate afuera. Buenos días. What is your name, señor? Kramer. So, señor Kramer, what is this about? Cigars. Cigars? Cigars. What about cigars? See here, I... I save one of the cigar rings here. You mean... One of these. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's them. That's, uh, okay, so uh, I'd like to buy a couple of boxes of those from you. You got? Uh, you realize, of course, these are illegal in your country. Um, well, uh, legal, huh? I like that jacket. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we welcome Miguel Perez. Miguel has appeared in a number of films and TV shows, including CSI, The Good Wife, ER, Frasier, The Shield, Blow, Cold Case, Desperate Housewives, Fear the Walking Dead, and Million Dollar Baby. But Seinfeld fans will always remember him for playing Luis in the classic season four episode, The Cheever Letters. And we're so glad he can join us today. Thank you for being with us, Miguel. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. This is this is really cool. <laughs> I love well, it. We feel the same way. We're we're excited <laughs> to talk to you. So according to your IMDB page, Seinfeld was one of the first major television roles that you landed. So can you it tell was, us a little bit yeah. about how the role first came about and what the audition was like for it? Oh, okay. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I I was I was I started my career in New York City doing classical theater, and um, my reps said okay we're opening an office in la and we want you to go to la and i said yes i want to go to la because my my little son at that time was getting ready to we're getting ready to put him to school my my wife at that time was a very expensive individual and uh, so i said i gotta i gotta get to new york because i can't support this family on classical theater you know shakespeare so i i went out to went out to la I took a room at this place called the Highland Gardens Hotel, which I didn't find out till years later is where, where all the, the pornographic actors and actresses would stay when they were in town. I, I, I didn't know that at the time. Nice. And uh, on my third day in town, uh, my, my agent says, oh, we have an audition for you for Seinfeld. And I, I knew what Seinfeld was. And, you know, we, we, yes, that's fantastic. Uh, but I'll go. And I went down to uh, MTM and um, I sat in an office with, with Jerry and, and, and Larry David. And uh, we, we read through this scene, this, this kooky scene of uh, the ambassador of Cuba tormenting Kramer. You know, oh, I've got these cigars and you don't have them, you know. And then, oh, these are illegal <laughs> in your country. So I, I, I thought, well, I'm going to do a big thing about Good, the cigar smells. So I just, I just really leaned on that whole idea. Jerry was just laughing out loud, you know, and Larry was kind of like nodding his head. And but Jerry was having a good time, and it was like I could just see it. I could say, okay, this he's he's he, he thinks this is funny. If he thinks it's funny, it must be pretty funny. I shook hands, thank you very much, you know, and before he even got back home. My beeper went off as I was driving my little Hyundai back to the hotel, and I could feel it in the small of my back buzzing. And I knew, I knew, I knew I told you. Right then, I called up my agent. Sure enough, I was going to go in next that following week and uh, and tape with these people, work with these people, and um, I was thrilled. I thought, wow, you know, he had a fantastic. He still has a fantastic reputation as more than just a comedian. He's a real scientist of comedy and you know julia louis dreyfus at that time was still you know at, at the beginnings of what turned into a, a stellar career you know larry david i didn't realize who larry david was at that time i knew that he's sort of a, the brains of the operation but i didn't realize you know what that, that all would all become but uh, but the audition was standard it was just standard business you know it was the way it was in those years you you go to the venue you wait your you wait your turn you go into the office, you sit down, you say hello, you read the scene. And um, it was just, there was nothing really earth shattering about it, except that, that Jerry kept laughing. 
And I guess in comedy, that's the most important thing. You know, if you get them laughing, then you know that you're you're hitting the right notes. And also as a as a theater actor, I, I really made an effort to to do the thing as written, which wasn't hard because it was good writing. You know, good writing is always easy to memorize. Bad writing, you have to try to like grit your teeth and find your way through it. But it was clean, it was funny, it was clear. And uh it was great. And when it was my first gig <laughs> in LA, I immediately called my wife and said, this is it, honey. We, we're making the right moves. <laughs> and I didn't book another job for three months. You know, In the meantime, my son and wife had come out. I got, got an apartment in Glendale that my wife hated. And, you know, life was difficult, but it was lovely. And, and it was a great way to start uh, the, my, my sojourn here in LA which continues to this day. Yeah. What a gig to get for your first acting gig, you know, in LA to get yeah. Seinfeld in, yeah. in the season when it was really, really taking off. Oh yeah. They were, they were on fire. They, they could do no wrong. And I have to say your presence in that scene. I mean, it's just so amazing. And you just, you just take control and you really are just <laughs> outstanding. I mean, I can see what Jerry saw in you. Oh, well, you know, I I thought about it, you know, I'm like, okay, Cuban ambassador, right? And, th- and those years, Cuba, oh, first of all, thank you for that, very, your very kind words. <laughs> thank you, that's very nice. Of course. <laughs> um, and it, to respond to that about the take charge thing, that was, that was, there was an intent behind that. I don't know, okay, Cuban, you know, the, the, things with Cuba weren't going so good in those years. So I thought, okay, well, we're going to be kind of, stentorian not only that we're probably going to be a military guy who's just happens to be wearing a suit I, I'm, I'm a former marine so i decided to do my best drill instructor march and to try to assume that sort of military bearing and um it uh it 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 suited the moment i thought really well you know talking to that the the young uh reception yeah, it's better half way i know Wait outside. That sort of set the tone. And, uh, and then, you know, Michael Richards, I mean, he, he just totally played, in, played, played, you know, the opposite of it and built up this wonderful this little tension. <laughs> cool. Cool. Can you describe what the atmosphere was like when you first arrived on the set and what you observed from watching the cast work together? Oh man, um, it was a real, a real unity of purpose, you know, and a real everybody. I mean, comedians are, are probably some of the most serious people when it comes to the craft, you know. And if 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 people weren't rehearsing or, or on stage, they were like looking at separate little moments and working on things and and looking for things. So they they, they really were. They, they are, but they really were in that moment, real scientists of comedy. They were very serious about their comedy, not to the point of being, you know, like you know, standoffish or jerky or anything, but it was work time and everybody was working. And um, and it wasn't hard work. It was hard fun. But, uh, but you know, they were just everybody was focused. I, I guess I, I really loved that about it because there was a. Everybody was focused, all of the day players, all the guest stars, everyone. I think that the sense was that this was something really good. And I think everybody wanted to bring their A game, you know, the, the camera operators, you know, the the grips, the electricians. Everybody was bringing their A game because you could just feel it. There was something really good happening there. And um an old, an old an old theater dog like me that was that was it was like coming home because i i had done some television work and it's a, it's a different atmosphere you know it's a different product and 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 you know in, in most television and film it's all about the product it's all about the end result but in this particular place and time seinfeld it was about the process they, I think these these folks all knew that if that if you executed really well in the process of creating it, that the product would just take care of itself. And and they were right. Yeah, and especially at that time, you know, you had the Bubble Boy airing the week before, and then you had the contest airing a few weeks later. So I mean, you were in the prime. <laughs> you were in the prime years right there. Oh yeah, we were we were in the prime cut there. 
and uh, managed to get a good laugh, which was it's, it's key, <laughs> it's key to uh, success in uh, you know half hour sitcoms. And Larry David was one of the credited writers for this episode. So what was he mm-hmm. like on the set that week? Um, relaxed, confident, competent. There were there was a couple of moments of. That he wanted something very specific from me, you know, and he was he wasn't directing. I forget the fellow's name who was directing, but Larry was there and obviously he had written. He was was, so he was he had hands on. And he said he said to me, it's very important in this this moment about the jacket. It's very important that that, that you find the rhythm. There's a a rhythm to it. You know, it's not just I like that jacket, you know, that 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 that. And he he really wanted to. um, he felt that, that that rhythmically the laugh could be found rhythmically rather than trying to do a thing, and so I I, I, I really I, I thought that was a really good note, and uh, I did my best to uh, to live up to that and and got the laugh, you know. But uh, he asked for a couple of extra takes because he could hear it. There's, it, yeah, he's he's I'm not I'm not going to use the word perfectionist because that has too much baggage. He was a painstaking artist. He will take the pains to get the thing just right. And I don't know, in, 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 in our business, you know when somebody's really doing, when somebody's really good and really knows what they're talking about, and when somebody's sort of just, you know, faking it till they make it. And there was no doubt in my mind that this man had a vision about, about what he was but about how this story was supposed to unfold, and, um, made it very easy for me to say yes. I'm, I'm, I'm buying in. Let's, let's, let's pursue that because it seemed good to me. But uh, yeah, relaxed, competent, confident, and um, not a, not a jokey guy. I'm sure he has. I'm sure he's a very funny guy. But it was, it was all business. It was just good, good, big time professional, you know, television. And what about the director, Tom Sharonis? Did he give you any direction on the set? Uh, yeah, no, he, he gave, he, he, you know, he gave me direction, you know, make sure you do the entrance like this, you know, uh, we're going to be really leaning on this camera here. You know, he was looking more at the, at the overall, um, uh, making sure that it, they hit the right marks, you know, in, in a multi-camera shoot, you really can't, you can't fudge it. You have to really be where you need to be for for all of the cameras to see you properly and and for the the director to have all the shots he needs to you know to cut back and forth it was almost it was it was almost like doing soap opera you know? <laughs> it, 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 except that it, the writing was so much better but you know you it, 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 there's some discipline and some skill that's required when you're shooting comedy on a multi-camera set you know not only do you have to be engaged in the fun of the of, of the piece, but you've also you've got to have some serious situational awareness, you know, because you could blow a take by just not hitting your mark, you know, and that that would suck, you know, it'd be in the middle of a really good really good flow, and then you know it, it gets lost because they didn't have camera three, and that's what they wanted, you know. And you mentioned your entrance, though. That was a fantastic entrance. It's a three, you come in so intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and actually, that was that one. I, I just knew that I had to. I hit. I knew I had to hit the stage hard. I knew I had to hit with a. I I don't know why I knew that, but I knew that. I think it was just. It just seemed once again it was about the rhythms of the piece. You know, we we're coming out of. I forget what we were coming out of. But it had to it had to be something that where there was a contrast. And so I'd already played into this whole idea of, of a military guy, of a kind of a somebody who's sort of antagonistic towards Americans. And so um I I thought, okay, you know, boom, boom, boom. And there's something about crossing your hands in front of you as you're as you're marching along. It looks it it looks it has an intent to it, you know. And, Sometimes, you know, sometimes, yeah, I mean, oh, often, you know, it's not just about about the words you're saying, but it's about your manner and your your movement and your rhythms physically. You know, I mean, comedy is is it's everything. It's not just not just looks. It's 
it's everything. And that's why it's so hard to do well. And it's easy to get laughs, but it's hard to get really honest, good, well-crafted laughs. And what was your experience like working with Michael Richards in those scenes you had with him? Ah, Michael is an energetic guy, you know, and but a guy who's also a painstaking artist. Because uh, he and I, we, you know, I was working with him. And between between takes, you know, we were we were talking. Well, he was saying, you know, maybe maybe you want to maybe you want to take the uh, the entire lapel, you know, and look in the back of the lapel. And he and, and he was get, offering me s- suggestions. He said, oh, yeah, I see what you're talking about. And we were playing with his lapels. And then uh, in the second scene where, where he and I have to enter together, when I ended up with the the jacket, <laughs> um, you know, we're back. Say, oh, you know, we have to we have to do this. We have to try that. You know, we can, and so. Once again, you know, it just he was always working on stuff, always thinking about it and um, a real painstaking artist. And but also, uh, I guess because he and I were always backstage together so much, he, every now and then he would he would just in, in the great tradition of comedy. You know, if I did something that he thought would, was funny, he would say, hey, hey, that was funny. That was funny. Which is something I, I, I used to hang out with a lot of stand ups. Uh, at one time, and I noticed I'd go to parties with these guys, and and they would um, they would tell these great jokes, and then everybody would kind of nod. That 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 was funny. Yeah, that that was funny. Right. <laughs> Instead of laughing, <laughs> it, it was more of a a professional observation. Oh, no, no, that, that was funny. No. <laughs> and so he would he would say that, and uh, I I knew he, I knew he was a stand up. I knew he was a, a a pure comedy guy, so that meant a lot, you know. I'm, I'm not really, I, I don't, I don't swim in those waters. Those guys are, they're doing some great things, and um, I, I was just proud to be able to hold my own with them for a little while. We kind of talked a little bit about this before, but in that first scene you have with Kramer, you. He told you the cigar ring and you kind of pull out the cigar and start to smell it. So did you come up with that on your own or were you told to do that? Was that in the script or? Oh, about smelling the cigar? Yeah. Or yeah, that was all me, man. No, I, 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 I mean, I, I just, I could, it's, I could see it and I could visualize it in the script. You know, he's holding a little, I want to get one of these, you know, and then, and then I, I reach out and I pull this, Big old, you know, 55 ring gauge Churchill cigar. And I was like, oh, you want one? You know, and I just knew that it was, it had to just torture him. And so I thought, I thought, okay, I'm just going to. Plus, I actually, I did that in the, the audition and Jerry laughed at that. He thought it was hilarious when that, just that long <laughs> inhale of the aroma of the cigar, you know. Like, oh, I have a cigar and you don't. <laughs> and so I, I thought, okay, well, I did that at the audition. Jerry laughed at that. That's that's in. That stays. It was it it, it went without saying. That was that was just gonna be there because it, it worked. You know? Yeah, that was me. That was one of my contributions. Oh, that's and great. Mark that one down. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And was there anything else that you guys improvised during rehearsals that made it into the episode, or did you pretty much stick to the script? Um, yeah, that, that, I didn't. I didn't improv any lines. Every line that I spoke was exactly as written. If there were, I mean, I guess the the, the only things that I improved were were like physical things. I, I, I'm, you guys seem to be pretty careful about what you see, but in in the scene where we're we're getting ready to go golfing with um with Kramer. Uh, we come into Jerry's apartment, and I decided that that when I saw Elaine, I was just gonna just put my eyes on her and just 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 drink her in with my gaze, and and not in any kind of a way of, to make a thing of it because it wasn't my scene. It was you know the, it wasn't my joke, but I thought I'll just do that you know. I, yeah, I, I did notice that. Like right I, I was, <laughs> I did notice that, and I was going to ask you about it. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. But it was, Amazing. it was a, it, it's a passive kind of an improv. It, it, it was a way of staying within the parameters of the story, but doing something active and something engaged that, that just sort of supported, you know, the the, the main players who were doing something else, you know, and uh, 
don't know. It just, you can't just stand there and just be a blank. You have to somehow still be doing something, but it has to be something that doesn't conflict with, you know, the, the thrust of what you're doing. So that's, and that's another, another part of comedy, knowing what part you play in the moment, you know, and, and of course, being ready with something, you know, powerful when, when it's your, when it's your turn, you know. <laughs> also in that scene at the embassy, that suit you're wearing, is that your suit or was that provided to you? That was, that was provided for me. Yeah. I mean, that was, they, they put me in that suit. I think the shirt was mine. I honestly don't remember, but the suit and the, it was a little, it was a little, it was a little tight, you know, so I was like, <clears throat> but I didn't, you know, me, I don't want, I never want to be the problem. I, the suit fit well enough. I wasn't going to be making a deal out of it, you know, ah, fine. You know, so the guy wears tight suits. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. That, that, that's acceptable. Yeah, I, I can buy that. The shoes were comfortable. I remember that. The shoes were comfortable. I was able to just really get around, and I don't, I don't remember what they looked like or anything, but I just remembered they were comfortable. Now, I wanted to ask you about this because our friends over at Signcast were the first ones to notice this when they reviewed your episode, and I thought it was a brilliant mm-hmm. observation. But they said how they thought you and the two other gentlemen that you're with in that scene are modeled after Jerry, George, and Kramer. You know, you're the leader. You're like Jerry. <laughs> The other guy had high hair like Kramer, and then the other one was short and balding. So um, do you know if that was their intention or if anyone mentioned that to you? You know, no one ever mentioned that. But, you know, in hindsight, yeah, clearly that was that was what was going on. (laughs) But but, but nobody said a word about it. I mean, that was never so. But we want you guys to know. I mean, yeah, I can I can see it in my mind's eye now. You know. Of course, that's what they were doing. And uh, <laughs> yeah. that just that speaks to the the genius of, of that creative team, you know, and once again, taking pains. OK, we're not just going to get some guys. We're going to craft this. You know, that's that's the difference between, you know, Seinfeld and my mother, the car. <laughs> you know? You also have that great scene at the end of the episode when you're smoking cigars outside of Jerry's apartment mm. with Kramer, Jorge, and Umberto. So what do you remember <laughs> about filming that scene? Um, they let me keep the cigar so I could smoke it. Smoked it on my way home. Um, nice. no, but I, actually, I, I do remember one thing, a uh, very important thing. Uh, Michael insisted that we be given, like, really nice cigars they weren't these weren't some dried out prop cigars i mean these cigars had been sitting in a humidor and they, they you know you, you roll them and there's no crickling or crack i mean these were nice smokable cigars i remember michael actually asked me well what do you want what do you want 55 what 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 kind of what you know what kind of a cigar you want and and we had some cigar talk and he tell you well What's your favorite cigar? Oh, you know, I, I, I like the Macanudo Torpedo with the, you know, <laughs> with the, the Connecticut wrapper. Oh, you know cigars, right? Now, oh, well, somewhat. And apparently that whole Jerry and Larry and Michael and all those guys were all like into cigars at that time. So there was some interesting cigar talk going on, just kind of like chatting like over lunch and whatnot, you know. People talking about are the Cuban cigars really are, are Cuban cigars really good or is it just because they're forbidden fruit? And that's funny because uh, maybe a couple of years later I, I was worked on a film called um, Up Close and Personal, Robert Bedford and Michelle Pfeiffer. But uh, during one of the weeks that we were there, they flew a guy from Miami who had been a cigar roller, a a custom cigar roller, flew him and his gear out to the set because they were going to film one scene where Michelle was interviewing him. So he was he was around just like waiting to film the scene and he was rolling cigars and handing out these hand rolled cigars. Hey, could I have one? Oh, yeah, sure. He would like roll a cigar and put it 
press it, you know, and then just give it to. Oh wow! And it's like, like wow. So I, so I think uh, working on Seinfeld also kicked off a, a love affair with cigars that uh, eventually ended, uh, only because, um, you know, you, you outgrow stuff like that. I think I don't know. May I did, or maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe. I want I want my breath to be kissing sweet for my wife. There you go. That's yeah. a good reason. Yeah. And also in that scene, you're wearing Kramer's jacket, the infamous jacket. The so did jacket. you understand that yeah. reference? The inside joke? The lucky from... jacket? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, I, I, that's sort of a point of pride with me. Because that was the last time we saw the lucky jacket when I, when I had it. And um, I, you know, there was a time... Early on, when when the show was still running, when I was sort of, I was bit, I would I could dine out on that, you know. Oh, I have the lucky jacket. <laughs> that would that would get me a drink bot anyway. But uh, I yeah, and it it made sense, and and that was also part of you know when I'm sort of when I see the jacket and I'm just taken with it, you know. I I knew that it had to be a, a magical moment. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> there had to be like you know, the the light coming off of it. it had to be like the like the briefcase in uh, in uh, Pulp Fiction. You know? <gasps> it's beautiful. <laughs> you know, oh, I like that jacket. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think and that and that's that's the but that's also the that's the the heart of the laugh there, because the, the laugh isn't my what I said about liking the jacket. The laugh is that that jacket just has an effect and the audience is so engaged and so caught into the story that, that what we get there is the laugh of recognition. You know, they're in on it. And uh, that that's once again, that's that's about how well this thing was written, that an audience can hang on to that that notion episode over episode over episode and and take delight in in that thing that had been endowed with uh, such power. Do you have that jacket? No, no, no. I didn't. Uh. I, I should. I, uh, it should be in the Smithsonian someday, but <laughs> but no. <laughs> no, no. I wish I had that jacket. I I, I have it on eBay right now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything from Seinfeld, like the script or anything like that? No, I, 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 I didn't I didn't keep anything from Seinfeld. I don't keep things very often. It's very rare that I'll keep something from a show. I was once gifted a, a chair from a, a TV show I was on. And then uh, I was gifted once a, a jacket from a, from a film I did. And I still have that one because the fellow who gave it to me passed away. And he was such a nice guy. I, I just couldn't part with it. But uh, aside from that, I, I, I almost ne- not even from a theater piece do I keep it, which is I, I don't know why that is. I, I, the memories are so clear that I, I guess I don't need a memento. Right. So did you get to interact with Jerry or Julia or Jason at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, Jason was a lot of fun. You know, he he would we'd be sitting in on on. on on show on taping days, you know, everybody's sitting backstage, you know, and some. Oh my man, was it Grace Zabriskie was in that episode. One of the great, one of the great actors, you know, she's just amazing. And then uh, the young, the young woman Heidi, whose last name I forget, who played uh, George's girlfriend. She Swedberg, wonderful comedian. Yeah, yeah. She, um, we, we'd be all sitting back there, hanging out, waiting for our for our, our mom to come up. And, uh, you know, Jason, hey, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's not too late to fire any of you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Well, you you haven't seen you on camera yet, so we could make a change. It's like, oh, thank you for letting us know. But uh, he was was an old New York guy. I I knew who he was, and his his humor was uh, much appreciated because he – yeah, it, it, it was clear that he was, he said, okay, yeah, no pressure, guys. We're having fun. And uh, so these funny little, you know, snarky jokes were just what we needed 
you know, to keep us sharp and to keep us relaxed at the same time. But yeah, you know, Jason was fun. Jerry, um, I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of interaction with Jerry. A little bit here and there. Hi, how's it going? I think I got a, that was funny from him at one point. But, uh, but since I was working mostly with Michael, that's why I mostly interacted with. It's funny, I actually was, I was invited back to do another episode uh, a while later, maybe a couple of years later, it was a Christmas episode. And me and the same two guys that, I, that we filmed with before, we're there at the Cuban embassy. I'm wearing the lucky jacket, we're smoking cigars, and Kramer comes crashing down through the chimney into the fireplace in smoke and dust. And I say something like, Ay, Dios mio, it's Santa Claus. <laughs> and um, it was funny, yes. but they cut it. They cut it for time. Yeah, that was, you know the, about uh, that, one? that was the race episode. So, yeah, for, for the, anybody that doesn't know, in the race, yeah, there's a deleted scene where because Steinbrenner wants George to go down to Cuba to look for Cuban baseball talent, they're trying to figure out how to get George into the country. So Kramer's like, oh, let me just go ask my guys at the Cuban embassy, but they can't get in because the door's locked. And he happens to be working with Santa at the department store, so he's like, oh, I'll just go down the chimney. Yeah, and then he comes down, and you say, hey, Dios mío, it's Santa Claus. And he's like, oh, yeah. stop it, God. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. My God, how, how did you know about that? I didn't think it played. I didn't think it even saw it. Oh yeah, no, it's on the DVDs. Yeah, when they when they, oh. they released the DVDs, it's in the extras. Yeah, they oh, talk about that. Okay, so. I never I never got a residual for that. I think I have to make a phone call. <laughs> uh, but that that was fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, but yeah, that it's I forget the question, but hey, there's an answer. You can use that one. <laughs> oh, that was great. No, because I I remember when. We were talking about, uh, you know, interviewing you for this. I remember thinking about that. I was like, he was definitely another scene. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, it was yeah. the race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Scene from the race. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it was, great. It was fun. And do you have any other stories about filming that episode? Um, only that uh, by the time I, I got there for the second time. Well, I got there and I remember it was it was it made me feel really good when uh when Julia uh, greeted me, oh, it's Luis from that other episode. Hey, how are you? Yeah, good to see you. Yeah, and um, but I, I, as I recall, that time around, it was clear that that these folks were so uh, in tune that that there, there there was very little talk. You know, it was just like okay, everyone knew what to do. They were so dialed in, and. Um, and and then everyone was dialed in. I think they had so there there wasn't a lot of uh, chit chat or talk or fun. It was just you know let's do this thing. Let's go. I guess the, I guess the the only thing I really remember clearly is that when they called me to come in, I had just finished doing something where my hair was down to my shoulders. I still had a lot of hair, and they were kind of like looking at me. And then Jerry came up to me and said, um, how would you feel about letting us cut your hair to match you know, the, what you did before? And it was like, he was really like, you know, walking on eggshells about this. He says, yeah, no problem. Yeah, sure. Give me a haircut. I can, I'll, I'll, I'll take a free haircut. And he laughed. And it was like, but, you know, I, I forget how sometimes people can be so fussy about that, you know. Man. And it's better now that I have so little hair. Now that I'm so so bald, it's like it doesn't matter to anyone what my hair looks like, or at least of all me. <laughs> but yeah, I, that I do recall, and that was actually a very nice moment with Jerry, where he was he was he was trying to, you know, he was like the the guy, the leader of the show, and I thought, well, that's leadership, right? You know, he didn't bob it off on to the hairstylist to say, well, this is what we're going to do. He kind of like said, hey, you know, we need you to do this for us. And it's like, yes, of course. Of course I'll do that for you. And uh, I, that's, I guess that speaks to, once again, just the professionalism and the goodness of the whole situation. You know, it was nice. Yeah. 
And getting back to the Cheever Letters episode, I know you said you didn't have a lot mm-hmm. of time to socialize with a lot of the cast members, but who would you mm-hmm. say you did spend the most time with on the set that week? Was it uh, the actors who played Jorge and Umberto or? <laughs> those guys, actually, those fellas didn't they didn't show up until just 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 before we were about to. Um, let me take that back. I mean, no, we spent some time together because. um I think just sort of like in proximity, you know, they, not a lot of socializing. Was a, we were all just like we're going to. I mean, the, I think the, the Umberto, the fellow playing Umberto, the the one who was the George Umberto, Jorge, of course, he um he was working all these physical bits. He decided he was going to come in with his hand in his breast pocket, you know, kind of like I've got something here. So he was he was working on stuff, you know, and and we did a we did a couple of things where we just tried to to make sure we stayed out of each other's way. We wanted to give this look of a phalanx, you know, and and uh, so we we just made sure that that we were all on the same page there. But once again, it was all pretty much just business oriented. I don't know. I've been doing this for so long and still haven't haven't gotten to that that place where it's like it's a big party. You know, you, you see those those movies about making movies where everybody's well drunk and crazy. Well, okay, there is one where that happened, but uh, but that's usually usually in a in a in a good on a good show, things are very very serious. And uh, it was I mean it wasn't like deadly, you know, glinty eyed serious, but everybody was focused. Even even those fellows who didn't have a thing to say, but they had they had to be there fully, you know. They knew that they had to, to be there in a way that that served the story. So, yeah, you know, we just we kept it business like we kept it professional. Yeah, well, comedy is serious business. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and this episode has one of the greatest all-time endings when Elaine reveals to Jerry that she knows about the panty remark. So, what was it like being on the set for that moment? <laughs> We were on the floor every time. I, I, they must have done it five or six times. And Julia, oh man. I mean, she, she, I mean, how do you set up a joke like that? Oh, my mom, she just bought me some new panties, and they're all laid <laughs> 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 out. And just, just all of it every single time. And we were all watching it. We, we, we were all waiting for it because at, at the table reads and at the rehearsals, we knew that that was going to be the killer moment. And so everybody was off camera just watching this thing. And oh man, it. I mean, talk about craft. Everything led up to that moment. And. You know, Miss Miss Julia Louis Dreyfus just nails it perfectly for timing, and Jerry, this beautiful, just freeze, just yeah. And and once again, the laughter is the audience being in on it. It's the laughter of recognition. They know exactly what's going on, and they are in on the joke, and the joke is on Jerry, and they're all laughing and having a wonderful time. Yeah, no, it was that was it. We knew it was something special. Everybody there knew it was something special. We couldn't take our eyes off it, and it was funny every single take. And it wasn't that many takes, maybe three. Yeah, yeah, I think Julia says it was like they did three or four, so it wasn't. Yeah, but every time, yeah, just oh, it was just hilarious. Perfect, just hilarious. Yeah, and just intrinsically funny, and. Boy, great thing to see. Great thing to see. Yeah, and Julia said every time she shut that door, it was such an amazing moment for her just to hear that crowd reaction on the other side of the door. Just, I can't imagine what that must have felt like. Yeah. They exploded, you know. In fact, I mean, all all the cast members are watching. We were exploding, too, and I know we were drowned out by, by the way that that thing landed, you know, and... The audience every time they they were delighted every single time too. It just they didn't get old. It was just so perfectly executed. You know, it's like it's like watching it's like watching Michael Jordan sink one from the from the foul line. You know, it's just oh, 
Yeah. All right, look, we got to get back to work. We just had a big breakthrough here. Okay, I'll leave you two alone. Okay. Maybe I'll go visit my mother. She just bought me some new panties, and they're all laid out for me. <laughs> And besides that moment, uh, was there one scene or one performer in particular that you really enjoyed watching? Grace Zabriskie. Yeah, she's amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, I, you know, she's she's by that time, she'd seen it all and done it all. You know, and I as as a character, man, I, I admired her work as, as a character player just ever since I was a kid, you know, and and just seeing her just pick her moments and just do them just right. And a sense of relaxation too. I just love to watch the old pros work because, and when I say old pros, I guess I should say the, the experienced veterans, that's a better way of putting it. I love watching the experienced veterans work because the work itself is effortless. All of the effort when it went some other time, I just loved watching it. I was like such a, I was so starstruck. <laughs> You're Grace Lebisky, aren't you? Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm Miguel. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Her and then um, that, that, that young actress, Heidi, I thought was really lovely. She was really understated and good and a perfect foil for, uh, for Jason. Oh, and, totally. Um, yeah, just, and she played just, just right. Uh, yeah, but I, I think I was, I mean, as, as much as I, I loved being around the crew, you know, the comedy crew, I think I was, I was really kind of starstruck by, by being on a, on a show with Grace Zabriskie, you know, admired for so long. Yeah. Do you have a favorite memory from your time on the show? I guess, I guess, I guess in some ways it's kind of like what, what Julio remembered about her moment in the show when we were doing the first take on the, the cigar thing and and I see the jacket and I you know I said, okay here we go I, I in the back of my mind oh here we go let's see how this works and I just did what we had rehearsed I did the thing that I thought was correct I played the scene with I played the moment the way it seemed best and the audience responded so well and and wow that was that was huge that because you know i had it was my first gig in la um this was my this is my future you know i was i was gonna bring my wife and son out and we were gonna put down stakes here in la and and i Maybe without even knowing it, I was I was looking for a sign that this was the right thing to do, that I was not taking my family down some kind of a rabbit hole. And I got that sign when when the audience broke up laughing on that that little moment, that that moment that we had crafted. And I thought, okay, we're gonna be okay. You know, and uh that night I, I called my wife. I said, you know, we're gonna be okay, it's gonna be good. We're gonna be all right. And we arranged the flights and we arranged everything. We got them out there. But yeah, that moment was, that was when I knew that, that I was, I, I had arrived in LA and that I had something to offer. I love that answer. And now I'm going to have a whole new perspective when I see that scene and you deliver that line. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you. And before we move on to our final segment, um, is there anything we didn't ask you about your time on Seinfeld that you'd like to share with us? Um, no, I, I think you guys actually you had some very incisive and deep questions, oh, <laughs> real deep stuff, you know, deep cut stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we don't, we're no slouches here. We don't mess around. Yeah, clearly, we take, clearly. We take our Seinfeld very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about that. No, no, actually, I, you, your questions are, are, are lovely because uh, you got me thinking about things that I hadn't thought about in decades and um there is one little moment that i i thought was hilarious i i don't know what ever happened 
but I, I just remember that um, I was standing nearby while Julia and and Jerry were talking about some the scene where they're talking on the phone, and Julia was doing something with the pencil, and uh, and Jerry was kind of like nodding, and then uh, I'm I'm watching the scene as it's being filmed, and she's doing the scene. She said, and they're talking. She says, wait, wait, wait. I've got this rubber pencil thing going, <laughs> but it, it was just cool because I thought, oh wow, that's that's funny, you know. They were talking about it. She had a she had an idea, and it it became a moment, and it was just just a wonderful thing to see a little thing like that become a moment, and I, I guess the, the, a lot of that happened while while I was there, and it was just a a wonder to see that kind of thing, and that wow that. That made me believe in the art of, of television. All right. So before we let you go, we're just going to move on to our final segment. It's called This, That, mm-hmm. and the Other. So basically, we just ask you a question, and then the first thing that comes to mind, you let us know. Okay. So first question, what role or performance are you proudest of? The ghost in Hamlet. The ghost and the player king in Hamlet with Mark Rylance and Mark Metcalf. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that our friend was, Mark uh, Metcalf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I trained as a Shakespearean actor, and to get to to play opposite the great Mark Rylance, who is now Sir Mark Rylance, and you know he's like the Laurence Olivier for the 21st century, uh, was a tremendous honor, especially for a guy like me, a you know Mexican kid from Southside San Jose, California. Yeah, doing Shakespeare with with the big boys. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was huge, and also, um, I don't know. It just it's it's the one that always stuck with. I was doing a I was doing a a Hallmark movie in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, with uh, oh god, it was this like kooky Hallmark movie, and they were shooting it at a, at a junior college in Albuquerque. And I was there hanging out with the makeup people, you know, chatting. And there was this lady down the hall. She kept sticking her head out her office door and then going back in. And she was like, you know, like doing this thing. And one of the makeup uh, artists said to me, I think that lady's checking you out. (laughs) Oh, come on. You know, and she kept doing that. And she was clearly looking at me. So, um. All of a sudden, she comes out of her, her little cubby hole and she starts walking towards us. Towards me. And, oh, my God, you know, she saw me on Seinfeld, you know, or she saw me on this or that. And she says, excuse me, are you Miguel Perez? Said, yes, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you play the ghost in Hamlet with Mark Rylance at the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge. I've never forgotten it. Wow. Tears started flowing out of my eyes. Oh my God! You saw that? You remember that? You know, she goes, yes, yes. When you when you came through the curtains and the wind was blowing, I I thought I was going to faint. I said, Oh! I said, Can I give you a hug? And wow. uh, we we just sat there talking about that. And um, uh, it just not only is it one of my proudest moments as an actor, but uh, but it mattered to somebody, which makes it even even better. And uh, yeah, that's one of the most proud. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite actor you've ever worked with? Ooh, God, there's so many. Um, wow, you know, I, I would have to say. Um, David Strathairn is probably one of my all-time favorites. Uh, we did an off-Broadway play together. Uh, Cherry Jones, the great Cherry Jones. Uh, she and I were both uh, in the company of the American Repertory Theater. She is an animal for the depth of talent and the the ability to to, to no choices off limits for her. She is just. Um, Harrison Ford, a lovely, decent man, you know, um, yeah, a, a movie star that, that millions of people, um, 
you know, depend upon and, you know, the millions of dollars are spent on, but just a, a decent man, just a good man. Uh, God, this, man, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of actors that I've enjoyed working with. I have to say, um, uh, Patrick Stewart. I, oh, I think yeah. Patrick Stewart is probably one of my all-time, probably my one of my all-time favorites. I, I, I did Shakespeare with him too, and but more than anything, he was, you know, he was Jean-Luc Picard and all of that. We're doing a play on Broadway, and um, at the very time that we were doing the play, my father was dying, and Patrick would check in on me. He'd say, "Stop, stop by my." And he would offer me a champagne. How are you feeling? What's going on? How's your father doing? And he he would like just check in. And then when my father passed, you know, Patrick said, of course, of course, you know, we'll, we'll cover for you here. You know, go. You have to go. And he said, and, I, and he said, and if, and if, you, if you don't want to come back, I'll understand. And I said, I'll, I'll be back. And, uh, you know, we went and we buried the old man and, and I came back and the first thing, you know, Patrick, how, how are you feeling? I want to share something. He, he pulled this poem out of, a, out of his script that he had sitting there and he read it to me. It was, a, it was, a, it was about, um, it was about how we have to accept that life moves on and that things come, things have a beginning, middle, and end. And um, it was exactly what I needed after just getting off of a plane and coming straight to the theater, you know, still smelling like incense from my father's uh, funeral mass. And uh, yeah, I, I Patrick Stewart is the number one all time favorite. Amazing. I love, I love Patrick Stewart. Yeah. yeah me too. Me too. Love him even more now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite film? Wow. You know, that's. There was a film that Sam Elliott did back in 1977 called Lifeguard. I loved that. I was in the Marine Corps at the time, and I, I, that film would play every other weekend. I just um, but you know, in a, in a more serious vein, uh, I don't know, Apocalypse Now is always a fave of mine. Um, there's a, it's a wonderful film uh, by, by Akira Kurosawa called Ron. That's, uh, that I think is probably one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, oh boy, that, 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 that film just always gets my heart beating my, my wife um my wife speaks fluent japanese which is crazy because she's this funny little skinny little white lady with blonde hair but uh because she speaks fluent japanese and so when when we watch that together she gives me the the true uh the true translation and oh, wow. god that, that's that's one of my favorite films of all time yeah a uh, favorite band or musician um I guess uh, the, the, the great uh, singer-songwriter Joni Mitchell is one that has always been a, a source of inspiration and uh, admiration for me. Um, as for a band, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, an, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a classic rock kind of guy. And Led, Zeppelin, Zed, Led Zeppelin never got old for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they never will. <laughs> yeah. uh, favorite story working on the set of a film or TV show? Mm. Uh, well, we weren't quite working. We were. I was in a movie called Blow with uh, Johnny Depp and, and Penelope Cruz, and um, we were we we, we were going to get the whole company to get on a private plane and fly down to Mexico together to, to shoot the film. And we all got there, but Johnny didn't arrive at the airport. And um, we found out later that uh, a, um, 
a fortune teller told Johnny that he should not fly. So he, they hired like some pistoleros and a few cars and he drove from Brownsville, Texas, all the way down to Mexico City with like maybe making one stop. But we all got on this plane. But as we were getting on this plane, and this plane was like, it wasn't, uh, it was a charter plane. It was just, it was solid white. There was no, no insignia on it. So we have all this stuff. And then the pilot says, oh man, we can't take off until I weigh this stuff. Because uh, if this thing's off balance, you know, we'll have a problem. So he's like weighing equipment, you know, strapping lights into the seats in the back and all that. In the meantime, we're waiting on the tarmac under the wings, you know, in, in the sunshine. The director, Ted Denny, rest his soul, he was a lovely man. I see him go and talk to one of the limo drivers and he hands him a wad of cash. Limo driver goes away, comes back 45 minutes later with coolers full of beer and bottles of booze and wine and food and a boom box and CDs. And we start partying there on the tarmac under the wings of the plane. And by the time it was time to get on the plane and fly, everybody was sloshed. And it was only then as we were climbing up into the plane that we see the name, the insignia on the plane. It's like in little blue letters right by the door. And it says, Casino Airways. And then, oh, Casino Airways. Odds on we'll get you there. Casino Airways, where every flight's a gamble. And we were just cracking up. And uh, oh, maybe, maybe Johnny was right not to get on this flight. And we're flying along this oil leaking out of the out of the engine, one of the engines, you know, and but we don't care. We're all drunk. We get to Mexico City. We get through customs. Everybody's drunk. We've been drinking on the plane. We, we, we got to the hotel and it was it was it was a drunken party. <laughs> it was a drunken party. <laughs> I mean, it was fun. It, it was, it's what you wanted a movie, a, a, a non-location experience to be. And I will give you one story. And on that, we were working with this fella, this fellow from Spain, Jordi Mola, who was playing uh, Johnny Depp's uh, friend. And we were shooting in golden time. You know, we only had a few minutes to get this shot. And Ted Dunn, he's, he's feeling the pressure. He's usually a pretty calm guy, but he really wanted this shot. And at one point, uh, Johnny gives the key line and Jordy, he's supposed to say something. And he instead just screams, ah! cut. And then Teddy back and he says, would somebody please let Jordy know that we are almost out of time to get this shot? So they said, reset back to one, run it again. Jordy says the line and everything like that. Wonderful. Okay, on to the next. Final cut. Jordy's screen take is the one that made it into the film because it was so freaking honest and funny. You'll see it. There's a, if you ever watch the movie, it's called Blow. Wonderful film. I think it's still on Netflix till the end of the month. Well, I do have to say, uh, one great role that you had in one of my favorite shows is your role in Frasier. You play the Barracuda. Ah. That's a fun one. <laughs> the Barracuda. <laughs> Do you have any stories about that show? Oh, oh man. <laughs> well, once again, yeah, I, I, I just knew that I just knew that character. I knew, it. and I got there, and some of my old friends were out there in the in the waiting area, waiting to go in and see Kelsey and and the gang, and um, and they were all wearing you know Mambo shirts and whatnot, and trying to look and I was just there like in a in a black t-shirt and my jacket because I just I I never went in much for that for dressing up for an audition I figured just keep it neutral but I knew this character I knew what I wanted to do so uh, I got in there and uh the the line that the, the, the one of the one of the joke lines one of the punch lines is uh maybe maybe someday while we're on the thing you will be my special baby which is a funny line, you know, uh, but I wasn't going to say it as written. It's one of the few times that I didn't say it as written because I, 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 I we're doing the moment and then finally say, and perhaps one night you, you, I, uh, perhaps one night you will be my especial lady. <laughs> and 
Kelsey like fell out of his chair. And he goes, oh my God, a special lady. Oh my God. He, he was nuts. <laughs> Everybody on that show was feeling so good because I think they just won their third best comedy Emmy in a row, you know? So they, they, they were golden. Right. They could do anything they wanted. But Kelsey, um, and as soon as Kelsey laughed, I knew that I had the job. I just knew it. Okay. I got the laugh. I get the job. And, uh, oh, that was fun. When uh, Kelsey doesn't like to rehearse. So we would uh, get there at 10, get, go through the, the changes, table read, you know, break for lunch. They were having these fabulous, sumptuous, congratulatory lunches brought in because of they just won the Emmy. And then we do another half hour after lunch and Kelsey would say, well, I think we've done enough for today. What do you say, folks? Let's go. <laughs> it was just them. And I'm, 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 I think we were taping. You know, they, they had on that show, they had the traditional sort of like little dumb show thing that you do under the credits after after the show. And something happens with that music under the credits. And Kelsey was out the door. He says, Miguel, Miguel, um, do the outro. Um, give us 45 seconds of funny. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and the producers all look at me like, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I'll do something. <laughs> And uh, yeah, uh, that was, you know, that was, and that was like, okay, fine, you know, sure. I felt nice to be trusted by Kelsey. I know, that's uh, that's pretty great, though. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Oh, had a good time on that show. Nice. Yeah. And final thing, you might have told us already, but favorite moment of your career? Favorite moment of my career. Oh. Boy, um, it goes back to my father again. You know, he um, was never too crazy about my entering this profession. He he wanted me and him to buy a pig farm in Arkansas and do that. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> so for for many years, he and I didn't exchange words at all. You know, he he really wanted that pig farm, and I really wanted a life in art. So there was not much to talk about. But I had been hired by a Shakespeare company in Miami to play Petruchio in The Taming of the Shrew. Really great leading part in Shakespeare, comic leading role in Shakespeare. And I was tearing it up, having a good, good time. And my old man and my mom flew down to Miami from California to see me. And um, doing the show, I know they're out there. I can't see them, but I know they're out there. And at the end of the show, there's a moment where we sort of crafted a thing where instead of Petruchio sort of lording it over Katerina, instead they sort of come together in agreement that they're in love. And she she says, I'll put my hand behind, beneath my husband's foot. And I put my hands beneath her hand and I kissed her hand. And I said, you know, let's go to bed. And But it was a, also an acknowledgement of my respect and love for her. Kind of an interesting read of the the piece and i kissed her hand and the audience kind of like breaks into kind of a smattering of applause because they think it's a great moment but then i hear this big voice go bravo Papukio! it was my father and i kind of like look out and he's on his feet clapping with his hands over his head the rest of the audience starts to jump up too and all of that and that was when I knew that that the old man and I could could start to have conversations again because he was saying, OK, son, I'm sorry. And that was probably one of my best. That was one of my favorite moments in my career, because it was a moment where life and art. You know, hit head on and uh, and informed each other. It was a good moment. Wow. Well, Miguel, this was so much fun. I mean, I, I yeah. just had a blast talking to you. And uh, before we let you go, I just have to yeah. tell you that my first apartment in Manhattan, I lived next to the Cuban embassy, and I would always think of you every time I walked past it. <laughs> every time That's I saw that great. sign. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so happy that I'm picking up some, uh, some real estate in your mind. <laughs> But thank you so much. This was so much fun hearing about your stories wow. on Seinfeld. And you really did such a great job on Seinfeld. And Aww. thank you for telling us about it. Oh, thank you for your interest. And, you know, thank you for, for reaching out. Um, 
this this is this was a lot of fun and uh, thank you for asking such like intelligent and deep questions you know this is this is a very you know i mean it's a fun show but this is not for not for the faint of heart this is you guys got james lipton beat always man <laughs> well that was our goal from the beginning we said we set out to be better than james lipton so they you, you nailed it you nailed it you know, <laughs> you know so bravo <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. Really had a great thank time. you so much, Miguel. This, yeah, this was really a pleasure. And just thank you so much for doing such a wonderful job and being such an important part of uh, what we do here. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Have a great night. Take care. Same to you. Take good care. All right. Bye. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Smoke. Go ahead. Hey, Jim, I want you to meet my new friends here. This is uh, Louise, Jorge, and Umberto. Hey. Oh, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Yeah, we're heading up to Westchester. Gonna hit the links. Oh. Yeah. Hey, uh, isn't that uh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. We're going. All right. Vamanos, muchachos. <laughs> <laughs>